Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to get to look into the Word of God. We're sorry that it's been so many days, uh, two weeks, since we've been able to get a study out. Um, it's been, we've had our boys been sick, and it's just been a busy time. And I greatly apologize uh, not finding the time to be able to sit down and record. Um, I certainly, I like to have them out on time. Uh, so I, I apologize for that. But we're looking in 1 Kings 19. We've been studying uh, about Elijah. And last time, if you remember, Elijah, he had ran from Jezebel and Ahab because of their threat. He had ran to the wilderness and God spoke to him there, fed him. Elijah went to Horeb, the Mount Sinai, the place where the law was given. And there he witnessed the earthquake and the wind and the fire. And then the still small voice of God. And we left off last time. Uh, Elijah had went out, covered his face. And God had asked him a second time, What doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah answered the same answer that he gave the first time the Lord asked that question, that he had been very jealous. Children of Israel had forsaken the covenant, thrown down altars, and slain the prophets. And Elijah said, I'm the only one left, and they want to kill me too. So Elijah's in a place of, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if fear, fear doesn't sum it up. I believe he's, I believe he's frustrated. I believe he's angry that all this has went on, that they have cast down the altars of God. They've slain every prophet that they could get a hold of. Um, they have sought after Elijah to kill him as well. And Elijah's done all these works through the power of God, the fire coming down from heaven being the most recent, and yet there's still been no repentance towards God. And Elijah says, I'm jealous for your name's sake. And you know, Elijah's in a place here <clears throat> that just like me and you, he is, as he says very well in James, that Elijah was a man subject to like passions, such as we, just like you and me. So he thinks, well, there's no point in me enduring going on any farther. There's no point in me trying to speak the word of God to these people. They're not going to turn. They're going to continue on in rebellion. Nothing's going to happen. And why, why should I? Why should I labor onward in this place? And if, if man is not very careful, we, we get to that place as well. What's the point? What's the purpose? They're not going to repent. And, you know, the, the truth is, as hard as this might be to swallow, there's a pile of people that are not going to repent. I believe by the Scripture, and, you know, I, I don't mean this to try to limit God in any way, but Scripture tells us that many will say in that day, Lord, Lord. The Scripture tells us that there will be tares among the wheat, even until the end of the world. The Scripture tells us that few are on the narrow way and that many are on the broad way. Everywhere you look, and you know the, the disciples asked Jesus one day, they said, are there few that be saved? 
<clears throat> and the Lord didn't say, yeah, there's just a few. But he said, strive to enter in, for many shall say in that day, Lord. So everywhere you look, it's a remnant, it's a handful, it's a few that will believe the gospel and repent. Does that mean that the gospel doesn't need to go out, that it's pointless to preach the gospel? Absolutely not. The work of God is just that. It's the work of God. And by following God, by obeying God, by by me and you and the church laboring in obedience to God, it's not so that everybody around us will get saved, but it's us serving God because God saved us from destruction. That's the way it ought to be. Service ought to be motivated by a love for God because of that comes from, that originates from, the love that God showed us in salvation. But in the flesh, we think, well, there's, there's no purpose and there's no hope. But God is going to answer him here. And let's see, we're, we're in verse 15. This is, again, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go and return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it came to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. So he's telling Elijah, I still have work and labor for you to accomplish because I, uh, God is not surprised by the unrepentance of man. You know, Elijah may have very well been surprised when he was up on the mountain and the prophets of Baal, they put on their show to no avail. And he prayed, and fire came down from heaven, and they slain those 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah then said, there's rain coming, let's run back to town. He might have thought in his mind, and you know, you put yourself in Elijah's shoes. No doubt he's thinking, well boy, they're going to repent when we get there. When we get back, Jezebel's going to realize that God is with me, that I'm speaking the truth. She's going to reject these false prophets. And Ahab and Jezebel, they're going to turn the kingdom around. How many times do you think that man feels that way? I believe Elijah felt that way, but there was no repentance. Well, God was not surprised by that. God knew that they were not going to repent and that they were not going to turn at that. Does that mean that that was to no avail? Nay, that was a witness against them. The gospel's purpose is to be a savor of life unto life to them that believe, but to them that reject, that gospel, the very same gospel of salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ will be a curse against them. 
witnessing against their hardness of heart, unbelief, and unrepentance. Well, that's exactly what that work on the mount, it's going to bear witness against Ahab and Jezebel and bring further and greater judgment upon their heads. And so the Lord says, Elijah, the work's not done. When your work's done, then I'll call you home. But you're not going to die in the wilderness and you're not going to hide up here in a cave. I've got work yet for you to do. And after that, then I'll take you. You know, a uh, very familiar scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, probably the last book that Paul wrote before that he lost his life. But in chapter 4, verse 5, Watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love his appearing. So Paul, the apostle, he's writing here, and you know the truth is he's, he's imprisoned by the Romans, and the emperor Nero, as history would say, is going to take him and have his head cut off. So you say, well, the emperor, the Caesar, Nero, he's going to have Paul killed and he's going to end Paul's life. But Paul's not blaming it on them. He's not angry at them that they're going to kill him. Paul says this, my work's done. I'm ready to be offered. I have done the work that the Lord's laid out for me to do, and now it's time for me to go home. You can rest assured that, Elijah, when your labor's done, I'll bring you home. But as long as there's work to do, we work. Paul said to the Philippians, I'm in a great strait betwixt two. To go home and be with the Lord, that's far better for me. But to stay and to help you is more needful. So Paul is saying, I'd like to go home. I believe Elijah here. Elijah would have liked to have went home to be with the Lord. But Paul says, I've still got work to do to establish, to set up, to finish the work that God would have me. And when that work's done, then I'll get to go home to be with the Lord. Well, here's Elijah Elijah says, I, I'm, just, I'm the only one left and I'm just ready to go. And God says, not so. There's more work yet to do. And as he's writing to Timothy here, Paul, at the end of his life, he's, he's encouraging him, endure afflictions, watch in all things, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. He's establishing, strengthening the hands and the heart of Timothy. Timothy, there's coming times that they're not going to hear you. There's coming a day in your lifetime, Timothy, that they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not hear the gospel. They will not care about the truth, but they're going to love their self and reject the wisdom of God. But Timothy, you endure you fight the good fight. You preach the gospel and rightly divide the word of truth as long as God allows you to do so. Because my work's done. So Paul, at the end of his life, seeking to be a benefit still to those that are going to be left in this labor. 
because if Elijah dies and goes on, <clears throat> there's still all of Israel there and people that are in need of strength and help and of the word of God. There's work yet to do, Elijah. Second Peter, uh, again, the same situation, but with Peter instead of Paul. Chapter 1, verse 13, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath shewed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Peter says, I know by revelation of God, I've got a short time left and they're going to crucify me upside down, as history would say. That Peter was unwilling to be crucified as Christ was, so they crucified him upside down. Peter says, I, I know that time is quickly coming, but I've still got this work to do. I want to write this letter, this scripture, and what a wonderful book that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. What a wonderful book that Peter wrote in 2 Peter. Why hadn't they already been killed? Because there was yet this work to do. Peter says, while I'm here, I want to stir you up. I want to stir up your remembrance of the gospel. I want to help you be established. I want to accomplish the labor that I can while I'm still here and while I still have time. The church is going to be delivered one day. Uh, and you know, today, today things may be very well for everybody in the United States and maybe in other countries across the world, but things could turn very ugly very quickly for those that'll stand on the truth. The things could turn down and, and maybe the world be against us and, and really we're heading that direction right now as hard as that is for people to believe that's the direction we're heading in, a complete and total rejection of the truth and an attempt of the world to run it completely out. Well, know this, that God's got a work for us to accomplish even in times of great darkness and rejection and hardness of heart and stiffness of neck and unrepentance and unwillingness to hear, even in times that people are lovers of their own selves and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, there's a labor for the church to do. And when the church's labor is done, God's going to bring them home. Why was Nero going to kill Paul? Because it was Paul's time and God was ready to bring him home. Now he was going to die. He was going to die in a manner that was unnatural, as was Peter, as did the Lord Jesus Christ. They were going to be cut off from the earth, but in a manner that testified and further glorified the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready for them to take my head off. I'm ready to leave this place. Well, Elijah, I understand you're ready to go. But it's more needful for you to stay here because there's labor left for you to do. So this is interesting here. And we'll say this before we dig in too much. God says, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu to be king over Israel. Elijah does not anoint either one of those. Elisha carries out both of those anointings. But Elijah has to anoint Elisha in order for that to get done. You see, there the work of Elijah 
though he's not going to anoint, though it's going to be Elisha, and he's going to be gone on before those anointings take place, yet it's a result of the work that Elijah done through God. See, God's work, it doesn't stop when I die. God's work didn't stop when Paul died or when Peter died. There were laborers left in the vineyard working for the glory of God. And Paul is looking at a young man, Timothy, and saying, Timothy, when I'm gone, don't be discouraged. Go on and stand on the truth of the gospel. Peter says, when they crucify me and I lose my life, don't give up, don't slow down, don't be discouraged by that, but you be stirred up and hold fast to the word of God. There's work yet to be done. When my work's done, and God calls me home, that will not be the end of the work of God. God's work will continue even unto the end of the world. There's those that are going to be left that's going to work the works of God. See, we're, we're just a small piece in a great big puzzle. And the only reason we're there is because God saw fit to put us in that puzzle and to use us to accomplish His work and his will. Elijah, it's not your work. It's not your work to destroy him. It's not your work to save him. You're serving me. I'll do the working. But here is something that I think is interesting and worth focusing on just for a minute. He's anointing Haziel over Syria. Now Syria, they, they don't know anything about God. They're Gentiles. They don't know the laws of God. They don't offer sacrifices to God. They're not God's people. They're not the church. They don't have, uh, they don't have prophets of God serving them. They don't have the gospel. They don't have enlightenment like the Jews have. They are a godless, Gentile, idol-worshiping nation that's never been called of God. But God says you anoint them a king. Because God is in control of everything. God determines who the king is going to be in Israel. But God determines the king in Syria. God determines the king in Babylon. God determines the king over the Medes and the Persians. God determines all things. Now you see, well, it's up to man. Well, I'm going to say that it was not up to man who the king was going to be over Syria. He didn't go ask Haziel, do you want to be king? Absolutely not. He went and the man of God anointed him to be the king. Let's look at that scripture in 2 Kings. And I think it's, I think it's interesting what's said there. And I realize maybe way in the future we're going to get down to this place. Uh, this is 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 12. And Haziel said, Why weepeth my Lord? Now Elisha, he's come to Elisha to inquire about the current king who is sick over Syria. Haziel has. And Elisha anoints him to be king. And Haziel said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire. Their young men wilt thou slay with a sword. 
and will dash their children and rip up their women with child. And Haziel said, But what, is thy servant a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord hath shewed me that thou shalt be king over Syria. So Haziel, you're going to bring, you talk about judgment that's going to come against Israel. And you know, the church can rest in this that the world's going to howl, and by all outward appearance, it's always going to look like the world is going to win. That's the way it always looks. That's the way it always appears. But the world and the devil never win. They've never won. Ever. We can see through all the Old Testament stories Boy, it looked like Pharaoh was going to win. God destroyed Pharaoh. And over and over and over again. So many accounts, so many times that it looked like destruction was coming upon God's people. And yet God always delivered and brought judgment on the wicked. I think the Lord Jesus is an excellent picture. There is the Son of God and you know what it looked like? It looked like the world was going to win and they had snuffed out the Lord Jesus Christ and his work was never going to be accomplished. That's the way it looked outwardly. That's the way the disciples felt. Even as those two on the road to Emmaus, after the Lord Jesus had been crucified, they said, they said, we thought that this was the Messiah. We thought he was the one. But they crucified him and killed him and he's dead and gone. Yeah, it looked like that the devil in the world and the evil had won. But the men that were on the road to Emmaus, they were talking with Jesus himself. The victory had been won. And even though it looked like defeat, the Lord was winning the whole time. Well, the Lord's winning here as well. He's been merciful and long-suffering with that northern kingdom of Israel. He's been merciful and long-suffering with Ahab and Jezebel. But Haziel's coming to be king, and my God, what judgment. The strongholds will set on fire. The young men thou wilt slay with a sword will dash their children and rip up their women with child. My God, what judgment's going to come. But notice what Haziel says. I'm not going to do any of that. But he does. Now, is man going to resist God? Is man going to prevent God's will and God's word from being accomplished? Haziel says, well, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not going to be. I, I don't even know what you're talking about, Elisha. And Elisha says, God said you was going to be the king. You're going to be the one in control and in power because God controls and guides everything. In Isaiah 45, we read about a man called Cyrus, 70 years or more before Cyrus was ever, I'm sure that that was written in Isaiah, before Cyrus was ever born. And yet God prophesies that there's going to be a king named Cyrus It's going to let the people go out of Babylon. And what do you know you can look in Nehemiah and Ezra, in these places, and you can see that, that very thing happening. Why? Because God's in control of it all. 
God's the one directing and guiding and leading and putting everything together. Why it looks like man, it looks like man's doing what he wants. Man's doing exactly what God allows him to do, and that's it. He's not going above, beyond, or over the authority that God has. In Jeremiah 27, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, and this is my opinion, I don't have any historical proof, but probably the most powerful, mightiest, and greatest king that ever was on the face of the earth. Now, how did Nebuchadnezzar get there? In Jeremiah chapter 27, verse number five, I have made the earth, the man, and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. How did Nebuchadnezzar get such power and overtake so many kingdoms? Because God said he has given it to him. Now, can you resist? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, resist. Zedekiah tried to resist. And Nebuchadnezzar destroyed him. So the will of God's going to be done no matter what man does. No matter what man thinks. God's work's going to be done. God says, I've given it to who I've wanted to. Who it pleased me, that's who's got it. And now I've given it to Nebuchadnezzar and everybody's going to serve him until the time of his land come. When, when is that going to end? <clears throat> when God says it. He already knows. His son's son. His grandson. Belshazzar. Belshazzar's going to be the king up at the end of Babylon. So God's in control. God's guiding. God's leading all things. So Haziel is going to be anointed the king and he's going to judge the people. You see that by what we see there in 2 Kings. He's going to bring great judgment and destruction upon the people of that northern kingdom of Israel. And Jehu is going to be anointed king of, of Israel. He's going to be the king of the nation, Israel. He's going to be the one after Ahab in there. And this is what the Bible says of him in 2 Kings 9-7. You can see. Give me just a second to turn there. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 7. And thou, I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 6. And he arose and went into the house. Now this is the man of God, the servant of Elisha. And so he comes to where Jehu is. And in verse 6, he arose and went into the house and he poured oil on his head. And said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, 
that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezebel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. So God's anointing Jehu, and Jehu's going to bring destruction on the family of Ahab. So, Haziel's going to judge and bring destruction on the people. Jehu, God's going to anoint and use him to completely destroy the house of Ahab, even to him, you know, him that pisseth against the wall, him that's poor, that's got nothing, that's living out. He's going to destroy everybody from the king's house, from the throne, all the way down to the poorest one of the family. God's cutting off that family. You know, you get caught up in a place and you say, wait a minute, that's, that's not fair, that's mean. But it's the judgment of God. They have rejected the very commandment of God. They've rejected the gospel. God has been so long-suffering and merciful with Ahab, with Jezebel, with the family. He's given the gospel and He's sent His prophets and they've rejected and God's going to destroy them for that. So God's going to conquer and this is how God's going to do it. God's going to use Haziel to destroy the people, the rebellious and idolatrous people that served other gods and would not turn to the gospel. Judgment's coming on them. And Jehu's going to judge the king's house, the man in authority, the man with power, the man that, that had all of these works of Elijah before his eyes and rejected every one of them and had the, the altars cast down, had the word of God mocked and the prophets destroyed. God's going to destroy them as well. So there's judgment coming. There is judgment coming, friends. The gospel, it may look like it's being walked on and tread underfoot and the world and the church world, the religious crowd, they're just able to laugh and mock and smirk at the man of God. And I know how that is. I know how that makes a man feel. You talk about feeling worthless when you're trying to labor in the Word and people make fun right before your face, right in your face. My gosh, it's you talk about making a man feel worthless. It brings you to a place of Elijah. What am I going to do? There's no purpose in going on. Well, Ahab's going to be destroyed in his house. The people are going to be judged. And you can rest assured in this, judgment is surely coming on those that will not hear the gospel. And that's not a that's not a prideful thing to say either. That's, that's the truth of the word of God. Judgment is coming upon those that reject the gospel. That's Bible scripture. That can be preached service after service. Those that want to hear will be destroyed. It's the truth. And if they're not going to hear, friends, that's going to be their end. That's going to be Ahab and Jezebel's end. 
And that'll be the end of everyone that won't hear the gospel and won't repent at the word of truth. And also, so we've got we've got Haziel, we've got Elisha, and we've got Jehu. So Elisha, the man of God, you're going to anoint him to be prophet in your room. He's going to be the one to take up your labor and your work. He's going to be the one to follow after you. Elijah, when you're gone, my work don't end. I've got, I've got more to accomplish. I've got more to do. And I've got a man, already have a man that I know is going to follow in your footsteps. Now, you think about the will of man. God don't say, Elijah, go down there and talk to him and see whether he's going to follow you or not. God says, Elijah, he's the one. He's going to follow you. You go anoint him. He's going to do the work. He's going to be the man to follow you. He's going to endure afflictions. He's going to endure the fight. He's going to stand for the truth. He's going to accomplish my work. Why? Because God said. That's why. It ain't, it ain't up to the, the will of Elisha. God's calling him into a work. God's calling Haziel into the kingdom to bring judgment. God's calling Jehu into the kingdom to bring judgment. God's calling Elisha to come and continue the work of the gospel and spreading of the word of God. So we left off there. We'll, we'll, we'll stop right there. But he says, Him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. Him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Who's going to escape from God's judgment? Well, we're going to get away from Haziel. Well, you might. But Jehu's going to slay you then. And well, we can get away from Haziel and Jehu. Neither one of them can get us. Well, Elisha will get you. The judgment of God is coming upon all them that will not hear and repent at the word of God. That's all, that's all we'll, we'll look at today. We'll pick up there in verse 18 next time. I hope the word of God's been a help to you. Uh, we love you. We thank you for taking the time to listen to us. Hope you have a wonderful week. Pray for us.